morning, everybody. For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Mal, I'm part of the team here, and it's my privilege to bring the word this morning. So how is everybody? Everybody enthusiastic? <laughs> Don't push it? Okay, I'm sorry, I won't push it. This morning we're going to continue on with our theme of spiritual practices. And today I'm going to speak about the spiritual practice of giving. So what do we think of immediately? What's the first thing we can often think of when it comes to giving? Money. We often think giving, that's money. Well, what if I said to you that money is only one form of giving? What if I said there's many forms of giving? To give you an idea of the significance of giving, I did a little exercise and I typed into the internet uh, ancient Greek for giving. And do you know what I found? I stopped counting at 25 Greek words. There are heaps of Greek words for our English word giving. And it depends on the context of the giving as to what Greek word is used. So there's, there is giving of money, but then there's also giving of attention, giving of other different things. And whatever is the subject of the giving has a different Greek word. So imagine trying to take a Greek class just on the word giving. And I probably could have preached an entire word, uh, sermon just on the Greek translation, but we're not going to do that today. So when it comes to giving, of course we need money to keep the lights on here. We need money to pay the bills. Things don't happen without paying for it. Um, nothing comes for free. And we need money to run our programs like pop-up and youth and other things like that. But there's much more to giving than just money. Giving is not something we do, but it is something that God has done before we ever got to do it. And God is still doing it and he will continue to do it. Let's see if we can get the technology to work. Oh, it was working. I've lost it. Uh-huh. Okay, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, Linda put it much more eloquently than I could in the communion when she talked about the love that God has for us. Because God loved the world so much, he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Giving is an expression of love. God is the ultimate picture of giving. He gave his son for our salvation. Giving doesn't earn us eternal life but it is a powerful response to the love of God. The world has a need. The world had a need. That's why Jesus, why Jesus came. It still has a need. It has a need for intervention by God in the lives of those who've lost their way and struggle to find a purpose in life. It has a need for intervention by God in the lives of people who are wealthy or comfortably well-off, self-sufficient and believe that they have no need of God. The world needs an intervention by God 
in the lives of people who do not believe that God even exists. I could go on and list many other situations where the world has a need of intervention by God. But God sent Jesus, his only son. He gave us his son. Now it's very convenient that there was a wedding took place yesterday. And at a wedding, uh, you know, our own Emma got married to Tyson. And at a wedding, there is quite a bit of giving. So let's think about the giving. So there's the giving of the bride, the giving of rings, the giving of vows, the giving of commitment, and there would have been the giving of blessing. After the ceremony, there would have been giving of gifts, the giving of the wedding reception, the celebration and the giving of good wishes to the couple. What other kinds of giving might there be? Anyone? Have I missed anything? Love, giving of love. What else? Does that about clear it up? The giving of each other. So there's a lot of giving goes on at a wedding. Giving kindness, yes. So a wedding took place in the Bible. A, a wedding is a day of giving, really. Okay. John 2, 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now for those who don't understand gallons, there's about 4.5 litres per gallon. So do the maths. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some water, now draw out some, some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now we don't know what relationship Jesus had with the couple um, but his mother Mary was also at the wedding. So it's reasonable to assume that it may have been either the bride or the groom may have been a family relative or a a friend of some sort or a neighbour or somebody that was known to both Jesus and his mother and the disciples were also invited so it it probably was someone that was known to all of those folk. Now Jewish weddings at that time were not like our modern weddings so typically modern weddings in Australia and much of Western society take about 30 to 45 minutes for the ceremony, a couple of hours for photos then the reception for another two or three or so hours 
And I believe last night's was longer than that. And then the couple departs. The bridesmaids take care of the gifts and then there is the clean-up. Jewish weddings weren't like that at all. Jewish weddings went for about a week. So there would have been a lot of food and drink. Uh, the guests would have contributed. In some countries, um, elaborate long winter weddings still take place over a few days and the whole community contributes. Imagine the clean-up. There would have been a lot of things to clean up. At Cana, Jesus, what Jesus did was he took the water that was used for washing. It was going to be tipped out. It was going to be chucked away. It was what we'd know as grey water. And he turned it into the best wine that they could possibly have and he gave it to them. Now this was a demonstration of what he's done for us. He's taken our old self and he's given us his new life. He's turned something that was dirty perhaps in God's eyes and made it clean and made it something worthwhile. Now whether we realise it or not, Giving is a very large part of our lives. The spiritual practice of giving is not in the giving itself. What it is, is the reason behind the giving. Who's ever heard of the old adage, it's the thought that counts? It's the thought that counts. So if we explore that a little bit further, it's the attitude behind the giving that is important. God the Father gave his son Jesus not because he decided Jesus had nothing better to do but because he loved the world, his creation and he wanted to save the world from the path of destruction that the world had created for itself. At a wedding, the couple have reached a point in their relationship that they wish to make a declaration that they want to spend the rest of their lives together. And so they give each other their whole selves in total commitment. In our own lives, we give to our kids, we give to our parents, we give to our friends, we give to the church, we give to the community, we give to our pets and the list goes on. Sometimes we give without realising it. Sometimes we give sacrificially. And sometimes we can give flippantly. Luke 21, 1-4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting very, two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. And all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The widow gave from her heart, but others gave from out of their wealth and their abundance. So for some, putting in a gift was not really uh, anything you know, of any importance to them. But to this widow, it was very important. Money is not important to God. God does not need money. 
We do. But God wants us to be committed. God wants us to have a good attitude and commitment. That's important to God. Whenever we give, regardless of what we're giving, what is our attitude and what are our reasons for giving? That's something to think about. Just ponder that. What are our reasons for giving? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. In the NIV says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now there's some doctrines floating around in a number of different denominations that teach about tithing, which is one-tenth. And the book of Malachi refers to that. Now I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything like that. And if, if you believe and understand what Malachi is saying, then that's fine. And if you're comfortable with that, with the tenth of the tithe, then that's comfortable. You should feel free to, to follow that teaching and give according to that. So I would never tell anybody that that's wrong. But here in 1 Corinthians 9, we see the Apostle Paul is telling us that generosity is a good thing, but we need to think about our giving and give cheerfully, not because we feel obligated or compelled in any way. We need to give because we want to give. We need to give with a correct attitude. Eugene Peterson puts it in the message like this. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when a giver delights in the giving. Now, obviously, we can give money, but what are some other things that we can give? What about time, food, tools, skills, service, commitment, encouragement, support, and various other gifts? We could make a very exhaustive list of what we could give. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against things there is no law. Could these qualities be part of our giving? Perhaps that's something else to think about. What from the fruit of the Spirit could we give? Matthew 5.42 says, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If someone asks for help and if we have the ability to help, we are providing a blessing. 2 Corinthians 8.1-6 And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. For since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The Bible says we are to give ourselves to God. The Macedonians had learnt that God wanted them to give themselves and he still calls us to first give ourselves to him. Committing ourselves to Christ as Lord involves giving ourselves in service. The Macedonians gave themselves to Christ then offered themselves in service as God willed through Paul's leadership. We do not give ourselves to God in isolation from daily life. Where were we? But we give ourselves as commitment to Christ and to serve him. Where There's a few things we need to think of in giving. We are to give faithfully. Many would have described the circumstances of this congregation, the Macedonians, as desperate. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the Bible, translates in verse 2 that their financial condition was being down to their last penny. Even so, they refused to excuse themselves from this opportunity to give. As I said earlier, giving is not just about money. With no money to give, the Macedonians still gave. They gave their service. Faithfulness is to characterise the Christian giver's response, whatever the circumstances may be. We're also to give willingly. The Macedonian response surpassed Paul's expectations. Their willingness and even eagerness is described in verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. In any situation, needs must be presented. And sometimes even in this church, there are needs. And we've had on more than one occasion where we've had to stand up, someone, usually Damien or Ben, have stood up and actually presented a need to the church. So th- those things have to be presented and explained. But no one is forced to give. Christian giving is giving willingly and intentionally. We are to give spiritually. The Macedonian desire was to give based on their commitment to Christ and their interest in fulfilling his mission. It was more than just a financial decision. And we need to remember the Macedonian church was pretty much bankrupt. They didn't have much in the way of resources. But for them it was a spiritual concern. It was part of their response to God. 
Giving to God is not a financial arrangement. It's a spiritual commitment. We are to give generously. The scripture suggests that this band of believers gave beyond their ability. They remind us that Christian giving is to be marked by growth, generosity and even sometimes sacrifice. We give in response to God's grace. He has freely given to us long before we could ever give. Notice what the, great, the grace of what God was doing in the churches of Macedonia. Christian giving is not to highlight the gift, but it's to serve God. Christians give because God himself has given on our behalf and poured out his grace on us. Christian giving highlights God, the greatest ever giver. The Macedonians could testify that giving to God because he has graciously given to us brings immeasurable joy. They were happy to be giving. They wanted to give. Only God's grace can explain their unusual situation. They were in deep poverty, but they were generously giving and they had abundant joy. We give to demonstrate commitment to Christ and to minister in his name. Judaism taught that giving in response to God, giving because of his command, was doing so to get something in return. But Christians give because God has given to us in love. We give to meet needs, to support the spreading of the gospel and establishing new churches. As Christians, we should not give to get in return, but we should give to bless others and see God at work in the lives of others. Musicians, can you please return? I wonder this morning if we could have a little think Let me say this, giving, no matter what we're giving, is a private thing between you and God. It is actually none of anybody else's business. But sometimes we come across situations where we might struggle with the concept of giving. And if this morning you've been struggling with the context of giving, the concept of giving, for whatever reason, perhaps you've been scammed or manipulated or felt condemned in some way, God wants to show you that he doesn't work that way. People work that way, but God doesn't. So I wonder while the musicians are playing, Perhaps have a little chat. Perhaps I'm not going to prolong this, but perhaps we can close our eyes and have a little chat with God and have a chat with Him about giving. Specifically, have a chat with God about giving your life, giving yourself to His service. 
and see what he might have to say. Maybe God wants to have a chat with you about your giving. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about giving of yourself. I'm talking about giving whatever God has put on your heart to give. I'm talking about being a blessing to others. I'm talking about serving God. That's all acts of giving. We don't give to get. We give because he has given to us. Perhaps as we go from here, just remember a couple of things to think about. What are your reasons for giving? Why do you give? Is it because that's what you want to do? Because that's what God first did for us. And think also about how the fruit of the Spirit can contribute to giving. Amen.